the volume. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. I bet on FanDuel as often and as comfortably as I possibly can. It is America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. There are fast payouts in as quick as two hours. So many bet types. Same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, and so much more. If you are new... Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. Welcome back to another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We've got a good show for you this week. Corey Erdman is here. BoxingScene.com, ESPN broadcaster, works a little bit with us over at DAZN. He is here to run through all the news of the week with me from Joe Smith's win this past weekend to Gary Russell Jr.'s fight this coming weekend to what do we make of the April 30th competing big fights? Oscar Valdez, Shakur Stevenson, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano. I'll run through all that and much more with Corey Urban. A little bit later, Gary Russell Jr. himself. He joins me to talk about his two-year layoff, what it's been like to train basically without his father for this fight, and... Are we ever going to see an active version of Gary Russell Jr.? As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. All right, Corey Erdman is here, one of my favorite guys in boxing. Does a great job over at BoxingScene.com. Does a great work as a broadcaster for ESPN, pay-per-views, uh, other outlets. Uh, invaluable resource for us uh, over at DAZN as well. Corey, what's up, man? How's uh, Canada this time? Uh, it, it's, it's very snowy. Uh, we had like a serious blizzard, like two full feet of snow the other day. So I'm uh, locked in in every sense of the word, basically, both due to COVID and due to snow. Yeah, I... I you know, I'm in the Northeast, and we have a 
producer over at the zone named Bob, who I'm sure you're familiar with, who also <laughs> yeah. lives in Canada, who like sends me all these pictures of his car, like buried in snow. Like I give a shit, like sending me all these things, like, like six in a row, like check out my car, check out my driveway. I'm like, Bob, stop, stop sending me this stuff right now. Chris, I thought for sure you were going to be in San Juan right now for the Demetrius Andrade purse bid, but which which got delayed, by the way, right before we came on the air. Can I we, thought can for we, sure like, you'd be there. That's great. Like, I love this. Like, I saw that, too, before we started recording. The Andrade uh, Janabek, I'm only going to use his first name here because I'll butcher his last. Uh, the Andrade Janabek purse bid delayed until January 28th because of a COVID outbreak in Puerto Rico. Do these people not know about virtual purse bids like you can do that like it's like you can maintain the integrity of a purse bid without uh having it in person it's like one of the last like remnants of old boxing like you have to yeah. physically be there to hand an envelope to somebody to paco in in, uh, in puerto rico and to get a purse bid done like that's well, also does the wbo think the pandemic's going to end in a week no, like, what do they think the situation's going to be like in seven days? I, don't I was think actually mean, looking. It, it, it was a purse bid I was interested in, as I'm sure you were as yeah. well, because I don't really know what Android's going to do as we record this. I've reached out to him a couple of times to see what the plan is. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's moving to 168 yet. Um, it also doesn't sound like there's been any negotiations between Top Rank and Matchroom for a deal here. So I don't know what's going to happen with Android. I personally, and I've said this on this podcast before, I think Android should make one more run at 160, take this fight, give himself some flexibility if he wins, and look at Munguia. You know, Charlo seems more likely than not we're going to see him fight Canelo, at least the way it's trending at the moment. Um, Golovkin, guys like that. See if you can get one big fight at 160 before making the jump to 168. One thing I will say, and people probably wouldn't know about this unless they were in attendance, you can never say that Demetrius Andrade isn't trying to campaign for this fight. Like, at, so during Teofimo and George Cambosis, and I don't even know if you would have noticed this because you were on the call and probably otherwise focused on things. During that card, at, at some point, Andre takes the microphone from DJ Dubs, like the, the house DJ for Matchroom. And this is like right before the main event, I want to say. And just starts can't, like cutting a promo, like a WWE style promo to the audience at MSG about why he should fight Canelo and how they should all be beating the drum for him to get this fight. And I, cameras didn't capture it. No one ever talked about this, but it, they, it was a thing that happened where Demetrius Andrade literally held court at Madison Square Garden begging for this fight. I mean, he's done a lot to try and get it. He's been a title holder at 154 when Canelo was down there. He's been a champion at 160 when Canelo was there. Politics haven't been involved. I don't want to get into Demetrius Andrade here. We'll, we'll save that conversation for another day because I'm sure <laughs> we'll have something to talk about the next couple of weeks once this middleweight belt uh, is resolved. Also saw up this week, and I don't get too deep into this, but like 75 bucks for Keith Thurman and Mario Barrios. Like people listening to this, I know are going to be like, Maddox is, you know, he's a DAZN guy. You know, he's a PBC hater. You know, Thurman, I'm not. I'm going to talk to Keith for this podcast as well. I'll be a buyer of that pay-per-view. I'll write about it, I'm sure, because I've got interest in Keith. But like, are you fucking kidding me? Like $75 for Thurman Barrios. Like this is this is a problem in boxing where you're going to get like 50,000 hardcore fans that buy this. And maybe that's enough to cover the expenses associated with Thurman Barrios. But what does that do for either guy? Like Keith Thurman 
you know, rocketed to the top in part, you know, four years ago, five years ago now, in part because he got two titles, but also he was fighting on CBS. Like he was viewed by like, I think at one point it was like 5 million people in one of those fights, whether it was yeah. Garcia or uh, Sean Porter. Like he was a visible guy. And to put Thurman Barrios on pay-per-view and Corey, not even, it's not even like the end of the year where it's like, all right, budgets are gone at Fox and Showtime. You, you can't spend. It's the first real card of 2022. And it's going to be on pay-per-view. Like, what, what are we doing? Why are we well, doing Well, you know, the one of the five most common topics in the world right now is inflation, right? And it seems like it's hit boxing pay-per-views as well. You know, like that number has steadily gone up over the years from 39 to 49. And now it's like we've just hit the point where if there's a marquee fighter involved in the fight, it's 70 plus dollars, no matter what. And I, for most people, how are they going to afford that after they order Trevor Bryan, Jonathan Guidry the, the weekend before? <laughs> I can't. Who has that kind of spending cash? Yeah, I, I forgot about Trevor Bryan and Gidry. <laughs> like, it's also like, you know, pick them if that fight actually happens. Like, if that card even goes off, like, you know, oh, there's Ohio, no guarantee like, that it's going. There's no, there's no guarantee that's happening. Oh, box can be so stupid. And just again, for the record, like, I, I will, you know, we're gonna clobber the Jaime Munguia Demetrius Ballard fight later. So, like, I have no problem hitting things when they need to be hit. But $75 for Thurman Barrios is ridiculous. It's absolutely, this is like, I, again, I, this is another topic I don't want to get too deep into, but it's like all the, you know, uh, Jake Paul's bad for boxing now. Everybody shut up and pay 75 bucks for Thurman Barrios and go watch Mungia Ballard. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Yeah, this is a great it's... sport, man. Why are we just, we, are, we just give the most self-inflicted wounds of any sport that's out there. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, and listen, maybe, and, and I'm not the the PBC accountant. I, maybe that number is what they need in order to make this profitable. I don't know. But, I, but in a general sense, this is a guy who I think a lot of casual fans have kind of forgotten about, right? Like yes. he's, he's been out of the spotlight. Two and a half for, years. For two and a half <laughs> years. And you're right. Like Keith Thurman, I'm pretty sure was a part of the most watched boxing match in like modern history, <laughs> you know, of the last 10, 15 years. Uh, because it was on Fox and, and it was one of the premieres of, of PBC. So there's people that would care about him, but I, I think if I were doing it, and again, I don't know what the finances are. If I were doing it, I would have given him some kind of reintroduction that were very easily accessible and then move him back to pay-per-view and perhaps in a better fight. I mean, look, he, he wins and there's a chance Terrence Crawford could be right. out there waiting for him. And, and that's a big fight. But like to make that fight even bigger, don't you want to be visible in a fight against a Mario Barrios? I don't get it. I'm going to, uh, I was, I was going to say like, I'll have to think about it further. I'm not going to think about it another second. Like I'm done <laughs> thinking about that uh, right now. It's just, it's just maddening, man. It's just maddening because that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good Fox fight, pretty good Showtime fight. Uh, you know, any, any PBC platform, it's just not the right one. Well, and we're mad on other people's behalf because we can write these things we off are. on our taxes. Of course. So, yes. So okay. Like I'm yeah. not going to, yeah. it's not coming we're out of my pocket you. at all. Like, right. like the <laughs> listeners out there, like, you know, if you pay-per-view has its, its place, like Fury Wilder. Absolutely. I've yet to hear one person complain about the cost of Fury Wilder. Uh, Thurman Barrios. I'm guessing there'll be a few people complaining after that. All right, let's I move on. Let's look back uh, this past weekend before we move forward. Joe Smith, uh, he wins his first title defense, beating Steve Giffard by knockout. No surprise there. Giffard, uh, an unknown fighter. Good story. Won 18 fights in a row after losing his first two. But 
was not in the league of Joe Smith, and Joe eventually knocked him out. It, it kind of put Joe you know, back in the discussion for the next big fight. Now, the natural fight to make is Joe Smith against Archer Betterbeev, which would be for three versions of the 175-pound title. But I guess, Corey, there's an outside chance that Canelo Alvarez could look Joe Smith's way and say, you know what? If I'm going to campaign at 175 pounds, a fight against Joe Smith in New York City, that makes some sense to me. So uh, give me your thoughts on, are you are you interested in seeing a matchup between Smith and Canelo? Yeah, and I think if, if you're Joe Smith or anyone in that weight neighborhood, you always have to put that caveat out there. Like, I would like these fights with the people in my division, but if Canelo comes calling, I'm ready for that. You, I think it's important for fighters in and around there to, to make that distinction, to say those things in the media, because that's the, that's the most profitable fight you could possibly get. As far as whether I'm interested in it, yeah, I think that Joe Smith is one of those, and I don't, I'm just throwing a number out there, maybe seven or eight guys that are realistic that I think are both acceptable opponents for Canelo and ones that I would at least be intrigued to see, you know, like there's uh, obviously Jamal, there's better Biev, uh, there's, there's Andrade, sure. Throw Joe Smith in there. Uh, any of the cruiserweights, I guess I'm fine with as well. The triple G rematch, like there's a handful of guys and whoever Canelo chooses, I'm totally fine with it. And we can debate which one is the bigger fight, but a lot of that I think is kind of pointless because I think Canelo is the draw yeah. no matter who he's facing. Yeah. Like he put 70,000 in the stadium against Billy Joe Saunders within the United States is Billy Joe Saunders, like an appreciably bigger star sitting there Smith? ringside, not, sitting there ringside, you know? Corey, that was like 99.95% Canelo yeah. fans. Then like Tyson Fury and like the guys that came with him. Right <laughs> now, was, Joe, Joe Smith, like there's a lot of members of the, the local 66 union. True. They're all going to buy tickets. So he's got some fans. So he he brings a few more to the table, but by and large, it's about like, what would be a challenging fight for Canelo and what interests me? And I do put Joe Smith in that category. I think that would be a lot of fun. I just, you know, I was talking to Sergio Moore about this recently. Like, can we go back to a day? Maybe this day never really existed. It just kind of existed in my mind where guys like earned these opportunities. Like Caleb Plant last year didn't really earn an opportunity against Canelo. He had a belt and Canelo wanted all four of those super middleweight titles. So Caleb Plant protected that belt for a while and got the fight and got the payday. Good for him. Like a great business move. But the fight played out the way I thought it would because Caleb Plant had never been in with anybody close to Canelo. So the guys we're looking at right now, I mean, Joe Smith, his biggest fight to date was a very lopsided decision defeat to Dimitri Bivol. Landed one good punch in that fight, hurt Bivol, no question, but then... Got blown out, basically, uh, in that fight. I'm not sure Joe Smith ever beats Dimitri Bivol, by the way. Like, it's just not a good matchup for him uh, stylistically. And you got Jamal Charlo, who has fought nobody at middleweight over the last five years. Not like last five months, five years, where his best win is Sergey Derevchenko, who is a far cry, really, from the guy that went to war with Daniel Jacobs and Gennady Golovkin in those previous fights. You know, people on Twitter killed me for this because, yeah, Golovkin has been inactive, but... He's the only guy that's earned a fight against Canelo. And he did that based on 24 razor-thin rounds that he had with Canelo. Like, he's the only guy that we know, you know, will go in there and give Canelo a reasonably competitive fight. Now, it may not be as competitive as the first two because Golovkin's now 40. He's only fought a couple of times in the last three years. But it's he's still the guy that's earned that payday. And, like, I'm just... And Joe Smith, too. Like, Joe... Beat Vlasov, good, you get a title. Beat Jafrard, not his fault Callum Johnson bowed out. I, I get that. But 
Like, how about Joe Smith fights Betterbiev, and then the winner fights Canelo? Like, that's a big fight, and the winner of that fight will have absolutely earned the opportunity. I do think, to be clear, I do think Betterbiev has earned the right as well. I mean, Betterbiev beat Vostick to claim that unified title, um, and then he beat Marcus Brown badly, and Marcus Brown is a pretty good fighter. So I think Betterbiev's in that category as well. But everybody else... It's like they're just like they're almost begging for this opportunity to fight Canelo and not going out there and earning it. Yeah, and and I think some of that is some of that is the times and that fighters just fight less frequently than they did back in you know the the time that you're dreaming of <laughs> in the past. I'm and just also, looking at two court. You know, like how about two? Like yeah, how about sure. two times a year? Is that asking a lot? <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of these guys are fighting once. I think one of the issues is because of Canelo moving up and down in weight. It's given so many people hope that they're kind of, they've, a lot of people have just been holding out and Canelo is the one guy that can really make you life-changing money in one night for anyone that isn't a heavyweight in boxing. And so I, I think that has had an effect on the choices that fighters have made. Now, you know, we're not, Joe Smith for all we know is not really in the conversation for this anyway. So some of this is just kind of theoretical, but it is. Yeah. It's yeah. I agree. Better be if, if you're a unified champion, if you're the lineal champion, as better Biev is, he has earned the right by, I, I think, any definition to get that fight. But yeah, I, I think that Canelo basically being an option for anyone from 54 now to cruiserweight, uh, yeah, has probably slowed some people's process because they they want to be marketable enough in case they get that unicorn phone call that's going to give them $5 million and change the rest of their lives. And to a degree, I, I, I can't blame fighters if they have kind of pumped the brakes a little bit in anticipation of that, I, I can't blame them for it. I, in a weird way now, and, and I was kind of, I've been pretty cool on the Canelo cruiserweight stuff. Like it just, it doesn't interest me all that much because it would be kind of, you know, cherry picking a fifth title. I mean, he's going up in weight, but he, he'd be looking for just a, a chance to, you know, just add that that belt to his resume. I, I'd rather Canelo now take that fight um, and then say to Smith and Betterbiev, you two fight. And say to Charlo and Benavidez, you two fight. And, you know, whoever looks the best coming out of that will fight in a blockbuster showdown in September. You know, I don't expect that to happen, but, you know. I mean, I like the scenario where be Canelo, become, Canelo becomes the commissioner of boxing, where he can just yeah. kind of like what kills fights, me? What, kill, you know? what, kills, <laughs> what kills all that, like, so for months, you know, I was operating under the belief that it would be Golovkin, Murata in December. And I believe, and still believe, Golovkin beats up Murata. And if Golovkin had two titles in December, it would have set up May pretty perfectly. Like, you know, the money would have to be worked out. It'd have to be significant. But, you know, Golovkin, Canelo, three, still a marketable mainstream fight. Uh, Golovkin pushing that fight back now to at least, I've been told, at least March, maybe even April uh, to fight Murata. Uh, that shelves that plan. So now, you know, it's looking more and more like it's going to be Charlo, which is fine. Charlo's undefeated. He can sell the fight. Um, it'll do a good number on pay-per-view. But... I mean, I don't have any optimism he's going to win. And that's largely because I haven't seen him beat anybody at 160 or above that's even close to Canelo's level. Yeah, I, I'm a little, I mean, I've thought for a little while that of the reasonable opponents for Canelo, that Jamal, just looking at his style and what he brings to the table, has a, one of the better chances to beat Canelo of his reasonable opponents because of his adaptability, because of his jab. Uh, because of his ability to, to counterpunch with power. And, and people, I, people you know, Corey, in, in Charlo's... People close to Charlo have told me, like, don't look at the Montiel fight. Like, he fights Canelo, he's going to get up for that. Like, he'll right. really get up for that fight. But in addition to not facing quality opponents the last five years, he has been inactive. 
He's only fought once a year the last two years. So, like, that factors. Meanwhile, Canelo's out there running through the super middleweight division 11 months. Like, he's sharp. And I'm not sure. Like, if, you had, if this had been, like, you know, like four years ago, you know, when Charlo moved up to middleweight, when he fought Korobov, and I forget who else was there. Brandon Adams kind of in that mix. If he had taken this fight, like, three years ago, I might have understood that a little bit. But now, I... I I don't know. It depends if you believe that Charlo is going to be a better version of the guy that we saw against Montiel, which was not a great version of Charlo. That That's also what's scary about Canelo. And we don't often see this when a fighter has reached the pinnacle of the sport in terms of like being it's, it's high, it's biggest draw. Usually when guys get to that point, they're kind of in the autumn of their career, because by the time you get to that point, like mm-hmm. it just takes that long to, to get to that point of marketability and notoriety that you're kind of on the downswing. What's scary about Canelo is that I think you can make the argument that he's still an improving fighter. Every time that we've seen Canelo over the last little while, it seems like Canelo has been a little bit better. And and so this is not a situation where Canelo's up there and he's getting a little bit older and there are these guys waiting to pick him off at the right time. I, I don't know that that's the case. To your point, there's a possibility that Jamal maybe hasn't improved, but Canelo is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's bad timing. That's that's a, it's a bad proposition for everyone that's in this Canelo neighborhood hoping for that fight. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. He's probably going to make a decision sometime in the next couple of weeks. And uh, you know, listening to some of the interviews Eddie Hearn has done and talking to some people in Canelo's orbit, it does seem to me like they're trending in that Charlo direction uh, at this time. All right, let's talk about the fight coming up this weekend. Gary Russell Jr. Remember him? Welcome he is back. back, back again for the first time. Since February of 2020, making what has been, over the last six years, something of his annual in-ring appearance defending the WBC title. He has been champion, Corey, since 2015. He has defended that belt five times since then. This will be his sixth world title defense. I I talked to Gary this week. I've got a soft spot for Gary Russell. Like, I like Gary Russell. I just, I don't understand... Like, to, I don't understand why he doesn't push to be more active. Like, when we talked, and I'm sure you've heard the same things, he's kind of put it on other fighters. Like, he said, like, Leo Santa Cruz didn't want to fight me. We were at 126. I tried to get a fight with Devin Haney last year. That didn't work out. Okay. At the same time, like, he's just kind of hanging out. Like, I asked him, like, what he does with all his time. He's like, oh, I go to the gym. I'm like, all right, well, that's like two hours a day. Like, what, what else? He's like, I go hunting. I go hunting in my back, like, in my yard. Like, he's so he's out there, you know, with his rifle, and I don't know, I don't know what they're hunting down in for the mid-Atlantic area, but he's hunting. Um, but he hasn't, you know, he stayed at 126. He hasn't made really any effort to, to, to seek out uh, a lot of different opponents. There's been opportunities. He's a popular guy. Like, he had one loss to Vasily Lomachenko. Um... He's an entertaining guy. He's got the Olympic background or the amateur background. I, I don't know. I, I like. I guess the question is like, is it too late for Gary Russell? Like at 33 years old, has he missed his opportunity to become the star we kind of thought he was on his way to becoming back in 2015? So I, I, I think there's two ways to kind of attack that question. One is we'll get because of how he's handled his career, how his career has been handled will Gary Russell ever be as good as he could have possibly been? And I think the answer is no, because I think during your prime athletic years, I do think it it benefits fighters up to a certain point to be as active as possible. And Gary has missed out on those prime years. So I don't think that Gary will probably ever realize exactly how good he could possibly be. And then the other way to attack that question is, will he accomplish as much 
as he could have possibly in, in his career? And the answer to that is also no, because he's wasted, you know, five, six, seven years of his career for the most part. And a lot of big fights have, have passed him up or he hasn't been able to go and get them. So I think in a general sense, no. But I do think that there still is time for him to be, you know, the best 126 pounder in the world. Some might argue that on talent alone, he currently is. But I, if he gets what he wants, and we've heard this many times, if he gets what he wants and he fights three times this year, two times this year, whatever, that is still possible. So I think it not, not everything is lost for Gary Russell if he can now pick it up. I think he can he could potentially take over a division and that's a great career accomplishment. But no, I, I, do, I think there will always be a little bit of what if with Gary Russell. How good could he have been and how much could he have, have accomplished? I think that he's left a lot of that behind over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I do think the window though is still open and it's open this year only because I see some opportunity there for Gary Russell. Like he's got this fight coming up against Mark McSayo. Um, you know, Gary's going through a lot right now with his father, yeah. uh, dealing with health issues. Um, he's talking about having a, some kind of nagging injury going into this fight. I'm not sure how serious uh, that is. Um, so we'll see what happens uh, this Saturday. But if he gets through this fight, like it's kind of like Leo Santa Cruz is going to be there. Like, Leo is going to fight at 130 in a couple of weeks. Says he's going to drop back down to 126 to reclaim his belt. Uh, maybe he has to defend it against the winner of this upcoming fight between Lee Wood and Michael Conlon. Maybe he doesn't. But, you know, it's a pretty easy PBC fight to make, with or without that title, to see Russell go up against Santa Cruz. And if I'm Russell, that's the fight I want. Like, Leo is still a pretty big name. And if he gets a good win uh, coming up this weekend, that'll help erase some of the you know, the, the, the stench from what happened against Javante Davis, like that's a big win. And then like get creative out there. Like I would love to see Gary Russell before the end of the year face the winner of this pending fight between Kiko Martinez and Josh Warrington. Like mm -hmm. how great would it be to see Gary Russell go to the UK to face Josh Warrington in his backyard? Like Russell, yeah, he showed me Corey early in his career when he took that fight against Lomachenko that he wasn't going to shy away from challenges. That was I think it was a purse bid kind of situation anyway, right? Because that's why Top Rank and PBC got together. Yeah. But um, a mandatory situation. Uh, so so he's shown he's willing to kind of do, do what he has to do to make fights. Uh, but that would be like a great year. Like he fights on Saturday. He beats Santa Cruz in the summer. And he fights Josh Warrington in the UK. Like that's an awesome year for Gary Russell. And that would give him huge momentum going into 2023 when he could move up to 130 and take on any other number of those guys. Well, and think about the other guys, the really exciting guys at 122 that could potentially come up. And yeah, as you mentioned, other names at 130, like it, on, on either side of 26 are a lot of intriguing fights for Gary Russell. And I, I want to make this point too. I mean, number one, I want to make the distinction between what's happened with Gary Russell in the past as far as his inactivity and what he's going through right now, because this is, you know, everything that's going on in his personal life, I think we set that that's a different thing from whatever has caused him Correct. to be inactive in the past. That's number one. But number two, the reason we're still talking about Gary Russell is because he's a special talent. Like there, there are certain fighters, when you watch them, you can see that they have something different. And Gary Russell, when you watch him, you're like, oh, this guy is 50% faster than most people I've seen before. And so he, you know, we're giving him this leeway and we care about seeing him again because 
I still believe him to be a special talent. Like I want to see Gary Russell more and more. This isn't, this isn't a situation where some guy's just holding a belt hostage. Like I think that both me and you and, and fans out there, they want to see Gary Russell because when we have seen him in the past, when he was on that run coming up on Showtime, he looked like something that we don't often see. And I hope that whatever percentage of that Gary Russell is left in him, that we get to see him a little bit more often. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Let's talk about George Cambosis. I'm getting a little Cambosis weary, for lack of a better phrase. Like, I'm not even sure where these negotiations are between Cambosis and other contenders out there. But, you know, every time I scroll through the site that you write for, Boxing Scene, it's like, Cambosis says this. Haney says this. Aram says this. Lomachenko wants this. I'm like, just everybody shut up and figure it out. Let's make a deal. It seems like it's down to Lomachenko or Devin Haney. Um, you know, Lomachenko, from what I'm told uh, from Cambosis' side, would be the easier fight to make uh, because Lomachenko's not going to price himself out. He's not going to uh, push back on a lot of the demands that Cambosis' side has. Meanwhile, though, Haney, it seems like that's the fight they want um, with Haney going down under to face uh, Cambosis sometime in May. So as we sit here, Corey, with what we know, like what is the right move for George Cambosis? I think the right move is the one that makes him the most money. And yeah. so I, I and I'm I'm just going to get like I'm I'm guessing here. I think that Lomachenko and, and Top Rank and, and ESPN need this fight less than the zone does i think the zone wants that you know undisputed title on its network and i think that they're probably willing maybe and i'm guessing here i would think that they're willing to pay a little bit more put a little bit more out there to make it happen than espn did because lomachenko is kind he's an attraction all on his own they can put him against anyone on espn and and he has a cachet all on his own he doesn't need that Cambosis win or the belts that come with it, I think as desperately as Devin Haney does. I also think, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case, but I probably in Cambosis's mind, and probably if you were to poll most people in boxing, if you were, if you were to say, okay, rank these lightweights, Lomachenko, Gervonta Davis, and, uh, and Devin Haney, I think a lot of people would rank Devin Haney third. And so if you're Cambosis, you might think, okay, well, this is the fight that gives me potentially the most money. Uh, Devin has said that I'll, I'll agree to the demands. I'll, I'll go to Australia. I can make this stadium fight. And maybe this is the easiest fight for me. And again, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that. It seems to me like Devin checks most of the boxes for Cambosis. That, that's my read on the situation. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I see something similar. I would add to that. Like, if you're Cambosis and you're thinking long-term, there are two things you have to remember. One is that DAZN is trying to crack the Australian market as we speak. And, right. you know, like, they, whether you win or lose, they would like it if you um, – they would probably like to use you in some capacity beyond, you know, these fights with Devin Haney. And if you're affiliated with that, quote, side of the street, you know, Ryan Garcia is out there too. And right. at some point, Ryan Garcia might be looking for a marketable opponent. And whether as the undisputed champion or the former undisputed champion, Cambosis uh, would have some real marketability. Whereas with, you know, with, with Lomachenko, you would have probably two great fights. If you get the rematch clause, you would probably have two really good fights that make you a lot of money. But then you, I don't think that Top Rank would be invested in you or they'd want to have anything to do with you. Whereas 
you know, in, with the Haney stuff, you'd probably be able to preserve a more longer term future. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way too. Just the, the future prospects. Yeah. If he goes to ESPN, they don't, they don't need Cambos. It's like, is, is top rank going to sign a co-promotional deal with Lou to, to, you know, hook him up for the future? Probably not. You know, they want that fight and they want his belts. Is Showtime going to give Cambosis a long-term deal? Probably not, but the zone could, and they've shown yeah. already. I mean, I think they you will know, too. I think they will. They, I mean, yeah. they rolled out the carpet for him in in Vegas for that Haney fight, and they had him in every possible broadcast role uh, imaginable. Like mm-hmm. they've shown him that uh, if Cambosis went to the zone and said, "All right, I'll do this, but I want a three fight deal," he'd probably get it. And and so he does have to think, and he's probably not going to think this way. But I think his management, Peter Kahn, has to think down the road. What if he doesn't win? What happens to George then for his next two fights? Yeah. And and I think that DAZN probably provides the best options for him. Then certainly better, I would think, than than ESPN and Showtime do right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, keeping it with DAZN, uh, they have a fight coming up in February with Jaime Munguia returning against Demetrius Ballard. You know, Corey, I've tried to be patient with Jaime Munguia, and I've actually defended him at multiple uh, multiple times when he moved up to 160 because Jaime was a title holder at 154, but he was always kind of a raw guy at 154. He he won the title by just like, it was like Cosmo Kramer against the smaller guys with, against Saddam Ali. Like he was just so much bigger than, than Saddam Ali. Like he was just, just ran him over in that fight, defended it against some decent guys, but like looked bad in some of those defenses. Like Dennis Hogan was a very close fight. So when he moved up to 160, I, I didn't blame him for not, running into a fight with Demetrius Andrade. Like, he was the WBO, you know, 154. He could have made himself mandatory at 160. Andrade was clamoring to fight him. I didn't blame him for holding off. But we are now four fights into his middle weight run, and he's going to step in against a Demetrius Ballard who has really not done anything to earn this type of opportunity. Ballard fought on the undercard of Munguia's last fight against Gabe Rosado and looked average against Paul Valenzuela, who in his next fight out, was just absolutely slaughtered by Ali Akhmedov. So, like, take that for what it's worth on on Valenzuela. So, are, are, we, are we at the point where we should be criticizing Munguia for, you know, his choice of opponents as we head into 2022, his, what, third year now as a middleweight? Yeah, this is where this is where you and I actually sometimes disagree. I think that that I have a longer leash for fighters as far as when I will blame them for their opposition or their choices uh, than maybe you do. And with Mugia, I can see it both ways. Like, remember when he was 20 years old or whatever, he wanted to step in and face Triple G on short notice when he was a, a kid. And and that you know, I always have that in the back of my mind because he showed me then like this guy is willing to fight whoever. I, I don't think he's afraid of anyone. And to this day, he's still trying to get a fight with Triple G, as far-fetched as that may or may not be, he's still talking about it. So uh, if, if he wants to fight Triple G, I think he's probably willing to fight other guys. At the same time, you know, you and I have spent time with, with Jaime in the past, and we've talked to him. And one thing that, that I've always noticed about him is that, yes, he, he trains really hard. He takes the sport seriously. He kills himself to make weight. But it, he's never struck me as a guy that really loves boxing. He's told me that like he doesn't watch boxing outside. Like I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of desperation in Jaime Munguia. I think that there's still that 25 year old in him who's just like, at, you know, fight whoever you tell me to fight. And I, I also do think too that we have to understand that 
you know, he's a 25 year old who's in a position with golden boy where, you know, they're probably promising him, Hey, get through this fight and we'll get you the next one. And, and, and I think that the attitude that I've seen with, with Jaime just as a person is to be accepting of that. And maybe that's worked to his detriment at this point. Maybe it's getting to the point where he's going to have to change that and say, all right, enough of this, enough of the Demetrius Ballards. I, I, I need someone bigger than this, but yeah, yeah, wrong, I haven't got that, that doesn't wrong, seem like his Demetrius. attitude in the past. You know, you got the wrong Demetrius in this fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I look, I, I've talked about this in the podcast before, and I had Eric Gomez on from Golden Boy, and like Gomez said, they're open to the idea of fighting Andrade. I think they should have done it now. Like Andrade's out there looking for a major fight. And, you know, like from what I've seen from Munguia, like that's a 50 50, 60 40 type of fight, maybe, if you want to favor Andrade there. Like Munguia's gotten really good. Like he's, he's a good fighter. Like, you know, he wasn't able to put down and out Gabe Rosado, but he just overwhelms you with punches. Like, to beat Jaime Munguia, you have to match that punch output. That's never really been Demetrius Andrade's bag. Like, he's not a super high-volume puncher. He's accurate, he's slick, he's tough to hit at times, but Munguia just hits you with waves, and he's got a chin. Like, he can take some shots. Like, he's taken some pretty good punches over his last few fights. So, like, you know, I know they're chasing Golovkin, but, like, does that ever really work? Like, you know, whatever some... Like, how many times have we seen Fighter X chasing Fighter Y and it never really worked out? Like, it's the same thing we talked about earlier, but earning opportunities. Like, Munguia, you go out there, you beat Demetrius Andre, Golovkin's going to come to you. Like, you're going to have another piece of that title and Golovkin's going to want it and he's going to come to you looking for that opportunity. So... You know, I'm a little disappointed that we're not getting Munguia against Andrade this year, especially when Andrade's out there, as we talked about, kind of you know, wondering what's next for him uh, if he has to go into another mandatory situation. Yeah, and it, it, it's disappointing too because I feel like I feel like Munguia has found his sweet spot stylistically too. Remember the Dennis Hogan fight, and he was he was working with a different coach, and they were they were trying to force this sort of def- defensive jabber mentality on him. Morales, Morales but, has been the right guy for him. Just, exactly. You know, just throw that defense out the window. Let's throw just go window. all and, offense all the time. And that's what worked when when he it was twenty something years old. He was a, a force of nature. You know, he was just this 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 kid. It was a youthful exuberance and the same motor that we see now. He's got the best motor in the 160 pound division. You know, and that's and and to go it back to the to bring it back to the first topic. We saw Joe Smith make that adapt that adaptation as well. Bef- around the Dimitri Bivol fight, he was averaging way under the light heavyweight limit or the light heavyweight average, excuse me, in terms of punch output. He was in like the 40 punches per round territory. Over his last couple fights, he's in like the 80 punches per round territory. And it's it's good when you see fighters who are established and at a high level still able to make changes to their game. And we've seen that with both Munguia and Joe Smith, where if they had stayed acting in the ring the way that they were before that we might not be talking to them about, about them at all right now, but they made changes to their game. And I like, I like when that's the case. Cause often we, we think of fighters once we see them at a high level, like they're a finished product, you know, and, and that works in other sports. Like you can look at analytics and baseball and you can say, okay, reasonably, this guy's going to get roughly this number of hits. That's what they are in boxing. You do have the opportunity to change your game. And both Munguia and, and Smith have done that, and they've put themselves in, in good opportunities to do it. But in Munguia's case, I think, yeah, he, he needs different fights to get where he wants to go. He's a good fighter. I just want to have a chance to, to show it. And an Android fight would be very easy to make. Um, and hopefully that, that if a Golovkin fight doesn't happen, I hope the Android fight happens in the first quarter or first half of uh, 2022. All right, let's finish 
uh, looking at the April 30th, let's call it the situation evolving on April 30th, where you've got Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez, excellent 130-pound unification fight, two of the top guys in that weight class. That is tentatively scheduled to be out in Las Vegas. On the same night, you have what is being billed as the biggest fight in women's boxing history between Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Now, I normally, I think promoters are very prone to hyperbole, but I can kind of buy into that, uh, Corey, that that's the biggest fight in women's boxing history. You've got the undisputed championship on the line, two top three pound-for-pound women, uh, both who are very visible going at it. It's going to be fought probably in the big room at Madison Square Garden. Let's start here. You look at these two events. What's the bigger one? It's Taylor Serrano. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Taylor Serrano. I mean, both because of its its historical precedent. I mean, not only are these, you know, two of the three top pound-for-pound pound women in the sport right now, but by the time they retire, this is probably a matchup of two of the greatest women's boxers ever. You know, nothing that, that Shakur and Valdez could do can, can match up to that kind of mystique and, and the historical precedent on the side of Taylor and Serrano. And just generally... Like those fights don't happen that often. And we have to take that into consideration. And also stylistically, I think it would be a tremendous fight. And I think people, and even if you want to look at it from a marketing perspective, I I think people consistently undersell Katie Taylor in terms of how popular she is. This is not too many boxers can say that they are a national hero. And Katie Taylor is one of them. And I think that sometimes even her own promoters kind of undersell that she's always in the co-feature slot and it's like Connor Ben above her, but Katie Taylor is a legitimate draw. Mm-hmm. And if you put that in Madison square garden, it, it's going to be a massive event. And we know that Jake Paul is going to be attached to it in, in some fashion. And particularly if he fights on the undercard, that's, that's just, that's a bigger event than Shakur and Valdez in, in, in on every metric, I would say, even if you want to see Shakur and Valdez fight more than you want to see Katie and, and Amanda Serrano fight, I, I think you have to concede that Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano is the bigger fight. Yeah, it, it's just a landmark event for women's boxing. And, and women's boxing is in a pretty good place right now. Like, I just did my pound-for-pound pound list over at SI.com. And, like, in addition to, like, ranking the top pound for pound women, like most of these women have kind of big fights ahead of them. And we talked about Taylor Serrano at some point this year, we're going to get Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall, which has the built-in storyline of Savannah Marshall being the last woman boxer to beat Clarissa Shields. She did back in the amateur ranks in 2012. Savannah Marshall also, I mean, I don't know like how powerful she is, but she's got like nine knockouts and 11 fights. So like that's, that's not nothing. Like that that's real that she yeah. that kind of power that she's showcasing out there. You go to even the smaller weights, like Sinisa Estrada's knocking women out at 105. She's got maybe a fight, uh rematch with Marlon Esparza that would do, you know, headlining type of business in Southern California. Like we're this could be the year, Corey, where like we have a lot more women's boxing main events on uh networks, whether it's Showtime, uh, Fox, DAZN, whatever it may be. Um, you know, before it, it sometimes was like the aberration. Like, I remember when Clarissa headlined and it was like women, uh, women's boxing headlining a Showtime card. It's a big deal. It's less of a big deal now because these are good fights. Like these are all, I just named three of them. You could probably name two more that are, you know, high level fights worthy of, me- of headlining uh, big time events. 
Yeah, and of course we have that kind of informal tournament that was going on at 140 as well. Yeah, and yeah. The, the other with thing, Jessica I, McCaskill lurking out McCaskill, there to face the winner, of course. And and I gotta say too, there are no better online feuds than in women's boxing right now. Michaela Mayer and Alicia Baumgartner, Clarissa and, and Savannah Michaela Marshall. Mayer is just throwing like, Michaela Mayer is just taking the shotgun out aiming at everyone. She had to Katie Taylor the other day. Oh, yeah. She's like, well, ah, didn't, didn't really adapt to the pro style. Love her, McC- but didn't adapt M- to the pro style. McCaskill and, and Rick Ramos are calling out everybody all day. Like, they, in terms of building fights through just trash talk, women's boxing is blowing men's boxing out yeah. of the water. And they're making their intentions very clear and everyone's agreeing to it. No one's like, oh, fight someone else and then come talk to me. No, like the people who should be fighting one another are calling one another out. It's entertaining. And then those fights are actually happening. It, it like women's boxing is what boxing should be just on a, on a broader, in broader sense. What we're seeing right now is the way that we would like the sport to function. And, and it's, it's great to watch. You know what? Let me ask you this. Are you a proponent of three minute rounds in women's boxing? Yes, uh, I I am, uh, because I feel like people who are opposing it are generally doing it as a way to to keep women's boxing purses down. The people who are saying, no, 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 it should be two minutes. Sometimes they'll argue, oh, well, if it's three minutes, they won't get paid more. Well, you're the one that's paying them. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's always this built-in thing that is holding women it's always the excuse well they don't get paid more because they only fight two minute rounds and the junk science that the wbc has floated out there about oh, it's totally junk. i'm get, glad you said that it's nonsense. totally junk science like they're, uh, they're just they're basically googling stuff and like, yeah exactly so i think that listen even if you find two minute rounds entertaining women should have the choice to fight three minute rounds if they want because i it is the main tactic right now that is being utilized to pay women less and we that needs to be eliminated straight up uh, i i agree and look one of the in addition to keeping the pay down one of the things i think that's keeping women's boxing from being more entertaining and having more knockouts is not having that extra minute like we've probably both seen several fights where one woman had another woman hurt and the bell rang to end the two minutes. Like, if she had an extra 30 seconds. I go back to, I always bring this up, but Amanda Serrano, Heather Hardy, MSG, first round. Amanda Serrano had Heather Hardy badly hurt, and the bell rang to end that first round at two minutes. If she had an extra 30 seconds, Heather Hardy was done in that fight. So, like, and that's the kind of thing that gives you a spring. Like, you get that highlight reel knockout. You get, you know, on, on, you know, on social media, on TV. You're all over the place with that type of performance instead of instead you usually get these decisions which you know while you know, productive uh, don't have the same effect so more money more knockouts that's the thing that's going to take women's box to the next level in my mind yeah i agree you know i mean i i hate like getting on the air and saying like i'll tell you what i want i want women to get knocked out more often but i mean the but reality some women will is tell that, you that someone will but, say you know, that to you yeah. like they'll like clarissa's done a i don't know what i don't know where she stands in this now clarissa's gone back and forth on this a couple of times in my conversations i know sinisa strada is, is a big fan of it she talked about that on the zone um a few times i think her next oh, fight's yeah. actually going to be with three minute rounds unification fight at 105 marlon esparza she's been for it in the past as well so there's a, a movement for it amongst uh, some women. I just think you need to have all the women get on board because I guess, and I'm just sort of, I, 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 they can just decide, right? Like if, if two women agree to have three-minute rounds, 
Like, there's nothing stopping them from it at this point. Yeah, unless, I believe, and the WBC just will not sanction it. So if you're a WBC title holder, I just think they won't allow it, but... It, Will I, they do in, it for the franchise title? What if the franchise title? The franchise, yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe they change the rules. But commissions don't care. Commissions will make no. they'll make it three minutes. They they don't care. And and yeah, to your point, I mean, like these the social media highlight reels for the majority of fans are what they watch more than actual fights. And the more yeah. that we can give them that said, hey, look at this spectacular woman. You want to you want to see her fight? That, that that helps you know like it's i'm not saying again i'm not going to be like ah, i would like to see people get knocked out more often because I, I care about fight, fighter safety but the reality is that that's what people tune in to see that's what the sport is so and and women deserve the agency to have to take the same risks that men do and then as a result of that get paid equally by the way there's an, to bring it full circle there's an easy fix to this top rank show eddie Hearn matchroom show you have Matchroom say to Top Rank, like, we will walk our main event no later than 11 o'clock. And you have Top Rank say, just doing their fight out in Vegas, say, we will walk our main event no earlier than midnight. And that's, I, I would think that'd be fine with Top Rank because Top Rank, Todd Dubuff's got this weird thing. I've had this conversation with him where he just kind of believes that there's really no, and I've heard him say something to this effect. Like, there's, it's never too late to start an event, basically. Like, if you start, like, they don't mind starting, like, 1230, some of their right. main events. Like, they just believe the numbers back them up on that one. So, that should be fine. So, Taylor Serrano, start at 11. Shakur Valdez starts at 12. Everybody wins! Big yeah. winners! Exactly. Yeah. Hey, listen, we, we had Canelo sit on a, on a couch for a little no, while. No, we don't talk about know? that anymore. We're done with that. We're done. Let's, 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 we'll, we'll put a pin in that right now. Uh, Corey, good stuff, man. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks for uh, joining me. Thanks, man. When we come back, my conversation with Gary Russell. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, New customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger you parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook and is now live in New York. I am a part-time New Yorker, and I am excited about FanDuel being live in New York City. The app is so easy to use, and when you win, you'll get paid in as little as two hours. To place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code BOXING and make every fight night mean more with the FanDuel Sportsbook app. All right, Gary Russell Jr. is the WBC featherweight champion. On January 22nd, he will defend his title when he takes on Mark Bugsayo. It's a fight you can see exclusively on Showtime. Gary joins me here on the show. Gary, uh, before we get into boxing, I was sorry to hear about the health problems of your father. First and foremost, how is he doing and how is your family doing with uh, those issues? Um, my father, he's he's doing the best that he can. You know, um, as far as the family, we're as good as we can possibly be at this point. You know, no surrender, no retreat, full progression by any means necessary. Um, things things hasn't been been good with my pops, man. He has the diabetes. He got the foot amputated, you know, and everything. It's been it's been a, it's been a little hassle. It's been challenging, you know. But we one of those type of families that always kind of got it from the mud. Nothing ever came easy to us. We always had to work for everything that we got, you know, and, and um, you know, we're grateful for it. Yeah, for people that don't know everything about your father, I mean, he's the boxing patriarch in addition to being the patriarch in your family. Like, I mean, you know, training you, your brothers. Uh, what, what has he meant to you as a boxer over the years? Man, he's been a lot. He's been a lot to me as, as been a fighter over the years. You know, uh, he, he's he been my only coach. A lot of these guys that's in the sport of boxing that's competing right now, um, they already had they already had a product. 
You know, they they had multiple coaches. They already had a somewhat of a foundation started. Even with the guy Mark Masayo that I'm about to compete against, he had a foundation, you know, already somewhat developed. And then he linked up with Freddie Roach. You know, Freddie Roach is trying to make the best of what he can do with Mark. As far as my dad goes, um, he he was the one that created this product. He's the one that created this monster. You know, uh, it's very few people to create two Olympians and now the longest reigning world champion in the sport of boxing today. You know, we've never been touched by any other coach other than my father. I think that speaks volumes on his his skill set and his him training, you know, as a coach. You know, that that's matters. In in the grand scheme of things, it's not important your father's health is first and foremost, but Training for a big fight, a world title defense. Um, do you feel as prepared as you possibly can be, given what you've had to kind of navigate over the last couple of months? Um, not a hundred percent, but I've never been a hundred percent in any of my fights. To be honest with you, you know, it's always been something—a a, a, a tweaked hand, a shoulder, or ankle, or something. It's always been something. You know, um, I've never truly been 100% in any of my fights that I've competed in. Um, but once again, no whining, no complaining. We're going to make the best of whatever the situation is. I believe that my skill set is second to none. Um, my speed, my my ring generalship, my boxing IQ, I think it plays a big, big, big factor, you know, as well as the experience that I've accumulated over the years. You know, my level of competition that I've been competing against has been much higher than these guys that's supposed to be in the upper echelon in the sport. You know, you are a really interesting guy, Gary, because you're right. Your skill set is high. Uh, your speed is incredible. You're a popular guy in terms of being in the ring. But since 2015, when you won that title, you've had five world title defenses. So I know it's a kind of a broad question and probably has multiple answers, but why have you been as inactive as you've been? Because motherfuckers don't want to fight me. It's, <laughs> it's just that simple. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm one of them guys that's been willing to fight whenever, whoever, wherever. You know, it's been difficult to find a dance partner. Why is it that I, I've been a champion this long, but I haven't had a unification match? That matters. You know, you have multiple guys that's been in the division that I've been competing against and, or competing in, and none of these guys want Leo Santa Cruz been in the same division with me for multiple years. You know, it didn't happen. You have a Carl Frampton. You have Lee Selsby. You know, you had all these guys that's supposed to have been doing something at the time when I was competing, and none of these guys wouldn't have stepped in the ring against me. It's a reason for that. You know, you're obviously training all the time to stay in the kind of shape you need to be in to be world champion. But like before COVID Gary, like I wanted to come down to your neck of the woods and just see what Gary Russell does like all the time. Like you, oh you get God. your one fight in a year. Like what, what do you do? What do you do? I'm, I'm still in the gym. I don't train as if I'm getting ready for an actual fight, but I'm still in the gym. Um, I think, it's a lifestyle for me. Boxing is something that I love, but it's definitely more so of a lifestyle. You know, I would want for my friends, my family, you know, and et cetera. I would want for them to 
stay in a certain level of conditioning in, in general. Um, I to ask people all the time, what if you had to run three miles to save your life? Would you be able to do so? Would you be able to do so? I, I'm one of the type of people that wants to always be physically fit enough to be able to do that. And because I have multiple children, I want to be able to do it with baggage and luggage. You know, and that matters to me, you know, and it's one thing to say is another thing to live by example, to actually show it, you know, um, and that's that's where I am. Um, mm -hmm. If I get irritated, if I'm getting if things aren't going right in my day or things not going right in my life, I balance the bullshit that goes on in my world with substance. You know, I'm going to go to the gym. The gym is my woosah. <laughs> that's my woosah. That's my safe place. You know, so I think that plays a, a big factor. Even when the conclusion of my career is over and done with, I'm one of the type of guys that will still be in the gym working out. I'm one of those guys that will still be trying to get a little bit of sparring in here and there if I can. Um, and and giving out some of these jewels that I've gotten from the sport and trying to pass it on to that next generation. What are your, your other interests, though? Like, I had heard once that, I mean, do you run, like, buildings? Do you own buildings down in your area? Like, what, what kind of, what, besides being in the gym, what occupies your time, where you put your money, your other interests? Well, I prefer not to elaborate on where I put my money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the other, other things you do with your time, you know what I mean? Man, my babies, my babies. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to lie. COVID, when COVID hit, it showed me just how prepared I was for things like that. Why? Um, I'm one of them type, like, because I like to be self-sufficient. You know, I'm one of the type of people, uh, I, and I want my babies to be self-sufficient. I don't want them to have to depend on society. You know, I want them to be able to use their wit, you know, their smarts and the information that's been given to them, you know, um, so it was so crazy that when it hit and everything happened, they they was they couldn't get to the grocery stores and stuff like that. We had already started our own garden. You know, I had my babies, they had their, they got their own garden and everything. So they had watermelons, strawberries, mustard greens, collard greens, kale, you know, uh what else did they have? Um was it cucumbers, you know, so they they was growing their own garden. I'm a hunter. I like to hunt. Uh, so even on Thanksgiving and stuff like that, you know, instead of going to the grocery store to buy a turkey, you know, I have I have turkey on my land, you know. So, you know, I hunt. And I, the last Thanksgiving or two, the turkeys that we ate was turkeys that I actually harvested myself, turkeys that I caught. Or I, of course. Really? That I didn't kill myself. Hell yeah. You know, I'd rather be self-sufficient, you know, um, and it goes, it showed me just how prepared we were for a situation like that. Um, I'm definitely a hunter, you know, uh, we, it's deer is, is real indigenous to where we are. Um, they're all on my land and everything else. So, you know, I, I'll hunt deer. Um, I got a couple, couple toys. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a couple toys, but I like to hunt. Um, I like to spend time with my family. I prefer to put, to give my, my babies the information that they need that I feel as though it's a necessity for life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the stuff that I honestly would like to do. You know, when I'm when I'm on my free time, you can catch me in the woods, you can catch me in the field, 
you can catch me hunting. We you probably catch me doing some paintballing. We gonna go paintballing. You know, <laughs> we'll go paintballing. We go get them the go cars. We'll go go karting. Uh, or in the ATVs, we'll definitely play around with the ATVs. I'm a man's man. Mm. You know, I'd rather do stuff like that. What would you say to other boxers, and we heard this from Devin Haney, among others, that just don't believe you want to fight, that believe you want to get your one fight in per year, collect a paycheck, and be done with it? I don't pay with what anyone else says, any mind. You know, mm -hmm. tell, tell them to get in the ring and fight me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell them, to, them, them fighters... And that's so funny that you made that statement because right when the pandemic hit, I was the one that was making the call, reaching out to Bill Haney, telling him, let's make a fight happen. It's a whole pandemic going on. Uh, it'd be crazy if I move up. Ain't nobody, apparently at the time, Devin Haney wasn't getting any fights. Uh, no one was really willing to step in the ring and unify the division or anything like that with me. So shit, why not? Let's make a fight happen. We could possibly make X amount of dollars. I was the one that was that was reaching out to them trying to make a fight. It wasn't the other way around, mm. you know, uh, but it never materialized into anything. Uh, before I let you go, I mean, as we sit here talking right before your upcoming fight against Megsayo, uh, how likely is it that we're doing the same thing next year? I mean, do you believe that this is the year you get multiple fights in, you get a unification fight, maybe move up. I don't know. Whatever it is, do you believe this is a year that you're going to fight multiple times? Man, I hope so. I hope so. I genuinely hope so. Um, I think that the, the, we got good chances at that. You know, the fact that we're competing in the first month of the year, you know, God willing, we don't have, you know, we get out of injury free. You know, we never overlook anyone um, or underestimate anyone. But God willing, we get through it injury-free. I believe that we should be able to circle back around come the, come the middle of the year and get a match in. Um, and we should be able to finish the year out strong as well, as, as well too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so hopefully we can get three in this year. I've been, I've been willing to compete. It hasn't been because of me. You know, it's just been difficult to get someone else in the ring to compete against me. He's supposed to fought Ray Vargas about a year ago. The WBC mandated him to be one of the, the, the challengers. And guess what happened? Nothing. He ended up fighting on Canelo's undercard. You know, so I'm not, I don't know. And then one of the stories behind that was because he broke it. He had a broken leg. That's why he was off for X amount of time. And word around town was he just really wasn't feeling too confident in getting back in the ring after a two-year layoff fighting Mr. Gary Russell Jr., mm -hmm. which could have been really true, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Um, I don't cry over spilled milk. I wish we can we can compete as more often or more frequent. But, you know, hopefully we can make it happen in 2022. 2021 was a, a wild year for us, you know? So hopefully we can make up for it in 2022. I hope so as well, Gary. You're you're a lot of fun to watch uh, in the ring. Thanks for joining me, man. And uh, my best to your family. I got to meet some of them at the 2016 Olympics when your brother fought down there and uh, down in Rio. So uh, I hope everything works out for your dad, man. Man, thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. Some things in life, man, is inevitable, man. Um, so we don't cry with spilled milk. Just like I tell everybody, life is like boxing. You got to keep your chin down and your hands up. <laughs> And find when you got to open it. Because life's going to throw punches at you from all ways, shapes, and form. You got it, Gary. Appreciate your time, man. All uh, right, you too, man. When we come back, this week's picks, courtesy 
of FanDuel. Okay, time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And this week, I am focused on Saturday's fight between Gary Russell Jr. and Mark Megsayo, 126-pound world title fight taking place down in Atlantic City. Now, normally, I wouldn't have any hesitation in picking Gary Russell, but this is not a normal situation for Russell. For starters, he has not fought since February of 2020. It's almost two years Russell has been out of the ring, and even though he's often been limited to one fight per year, that's a pretty long layoff for anyone, especially a boxer who's now 33 years old. During that same time, Meg Sayo has fought three times, so he's going to be the sharper fighter when he gets into the ring. Russell has also had some outside-the-ring issues. His father, Gary Russell Sr., who's also his trainer, he has been dealing with some health issues to the point where Russell says he has basically been training himself for this fight. And on top of that, Russell has been kind of cryptic about an injury that he's been dealing with in the build-up to this fight. I am going to pick the upset in this one. I'm taking... Mark Megsayo to win. Right now, Megsayo is plus 300. He has never faced anyone on Russell's level, but he is pretty good. He's trained by Freddie Roach, and I think he comes away with the upset. Now, how does he do it? Right now, the best odds are for Megsayo by decision. They are plus 750 over at FanDuel. And even though he's got some pop, I think Megsayo ultimately outboxes Gary Russell and wins this fight by decision. Megsayo to win and to do it by decision. Those are my picks of the week, courtesy of FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Gary Russell for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.